going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Core Consult RX Podcast. Cole, what's going on, buddy? Not too much. We're recording earlier than normal today. I know. So the sun is out. Sun is out. Well, it's been out because it's been yeah. daylight savings. But AJ's not here. Oh, AJ's not? Everyone look at AJ on the video. Look, he's just absent. We need to have... We a, still have his camera rolling, though. Of course. I did it just for this. Just, <laughs> just so, so you can, can make, show everybody. Just so everybody's not there. Um, so yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I will be your camera guy this evening and yeah. so I'm probably going to do a horrible job, which means that I'm going to have a lot of talking to do while you're on Yeah. Cause I'll just be distracted the entire time. Uh, but this is honestly, I think that's actually fitting because this is your fault <laughs> that we're talking about this yes, topic. It was my idea. Yeah. Well, we didn't have anything else. We didn't. And so instead of saying, Hey, let's do an easy patient case or something like that, like I would have done mm-hmm. cause I'm a little bit lazier. Mm-hmm. Um, Cole said, Hey. Let's cover that new ALS drug that neither one of us know anything about at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> so yep. I can't let him outdo me, so I had to agree. I mean. So here we are. Well. Two guys trying their best. I know. But it's not like either of us know anything about ALS. You know, right. I actually so first heard That's it. why I didn't think we should do the topic, but, you know. I was familiar with, I guess, the drug a little bit because drug companies do a weird thing where... If a drug is in the pipeline and maybe it's nearing um, approval, mm-hmm. the drug reps can't call and tell you about the drug. They're not allowed to because right. it's not an FDA approved drug. It has drug. to be approved. But they want to get feelers out there and establish contacts. So when the drug is approved, they know exactly who to go to to push right. the drug. And so you get these weird phone calls. So this is, I believe this is from Amlex Pharmaceuticals. I think this is the one that I was getting calls about. You get these weird phone calls from the these drug reps who are like, hey, just calling about, not about a drug, just about ALS. But, you know, there might be a new drug approved for ALS, just so you know. And we want to know, like, who the people to contact are and blah, 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 blah. So they, they, like, call and kind of bug you to give them contacts. And they just try to, like surf the just like oh yeah so and so told me to contact this person so and so told me to contact, and they do a lot of name dropping just to get as much information as they can so when the drug is approved they like, can I guess push what's, it what's there to be gained by that though i guess it just makes it easier for them to for them to push it you yeah. know for them to have the people for if, if it's a relevant clinic for them yeah. to have the contact people who are going to be prescribing it support staff so they're just trying to like make a friend before they have to go i think so because anna is in um uh memory Mm-hmm. disorders yeah yeah and for the year leading up to that alzheimer's drug coming mm-hmm. out yeah. my, the name is escaping me yeah i know trauma that starts yeah. in a monoclonal antibody yeah it'll come to me in a second yeah she had like somebody bugging her like constantly about oh. it and trying to like get her to set up these meetings and all this kind of stuff hmm. but i like, couldn't actually talk about the drug it was yeah. just like well just, why would you want to i know no, <laughs> it's, it's better just to set up the meeting and just hope for the best because so that was where I first heard about this, but then I didn't, I hadn't looked into it much because I don't work closely with ALS. But you after do it was have a, somebody in your apartment that yes. does, right? So we do have someone in the department who works with ALS. Do they only do ALS? Or is it they prime? do MS and okay. ALS? Cool. Yeah, they do both of those. Because um, I can't imagine ALS is that prevalent even mm, in a big, you know, hospital like you. No, no, yeah. I mean, we have like an ALS clinic, so they come from all over to see us. Um, but still, yes. Is someone like specialized in, in that specifically? Yes. So okay. I think there's two or th- like there's two MDs, a nurse practitioner, maybe somebody else who like actually does specialize. ALS. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. 
Uh, I think they, they probably do other things. Yeah, yeah, but they probably have a. I don't know what their specialty is. I, I would think they have extensive training, and it'd be like yes. a pulmonologist has extensive training in like pulmonary hypertension. Or right, whatever. they're just called a neurologist, as far as I know. Yeah, I'm sure, but they, they probably just yes. have but like, a lot of training. With they that. are the people who see the ALS patients. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's a maybe relatively speaking, there's a fair amount like versus like other places that you'd go, but compared to other disease states, no, it's a yeah a small number, very sad small number. Yeah, of yeah, people That's... who it's awful disease. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. Um, so speaking of ALS, give, tell us what is it? Yeah, so <laughs> that's what we're talking about. So ALS stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Um, many of us might be familiar with it because of the ice bucket challenge that mm-hmm. went all over the place in, what was that, 2018? Man, Before I that? I was trying to think of that when you brought that up. I really don't know when that was. It was a long time ago. Probably now, 17, 18. Yeah, maybe a little bit before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So you're probably familiar with it. That's what this is. And so we're not, we're going to just briefly tell you about what it is uh, and a couple of the current treatments, but we want to focus on this new drug because um, the, where I kind of sparked my interest was I heard that it was a bit controversial that it was approved and almost in the same vein as that aducanumab. Aducanumab, look I at you. I told you it would come to me. That's impressive. Um, Kind of in that same vein and I looked into it, it's not nearly as controversial as that, but there was a little bit just related to whether that efficacious yeah or not. so we'll talk about yeah, it I, I mean if the from what i was reading the execs kind of put their uh i think it was this one of the ce this the co-ceo or something he kind of put his uh put his challenge out there based on the new study that's going to be coming out he's kind of like yeah if it doesn't work out then we'll take it back i was like Whoa. well the new one is looking more promising yeah than what the one we're going to talk about here so i think that i thought that was kind of cool though from usually they're like yeah. trying to make excuses and like oh there was there was a difference with right. Prevnar thirteen, well, you know, whatever, and uh, but yeah, you know, this guy's like, I'll take it off the market if it's not uh, successful. So we'll talk about that. I hadn't heard about myself. that. So he put some skin in the game. Yeah, I mean, again, that's what I'm reading, like right. on Medscape news and stuff like that. Right. So I don't know if that's actually binding, but um, yeah, that's very interesting. And um, he gave him a firm handshake, so it had, <laughs> it had to be legitimate. It had to be. Um, so yeah, let's talk about ALS for a second. So I said it stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. What does that mean? It's a degenerative disease of the motor neuron system. Sounds kind of familiar to MS, but it is different. Um, And this is the most common degenerative disease of the motor neuron system. Um, It's incurable. uh, It's fatal. And the median survival is about three years. I've heard like two to five. Mm -hmm. um, But the median survival is three years. Treatment can extend um, length, uh, can extend life. Um, It's... it's, um, I don't know, it's not that significant, like a number of months usually. Um, but it can um, help with meaningful quality of life in patients. So you'll see that when we talk about this study, a lot of it is related to quality of life measures, and they didn't necessarily see the extended life that even we have with one, a couple of the other treatments. And that's what they're looking for in that... The extended life. The extended tri- the trial that Mike referenced that that CEO or whatever exact yeah. guy... Um, like that one's not cool, but the next one's gonna be right. I bet my drug on it. <laughs> um, so signs and symptoms. So patients, um, and this is a vast majority of patients, um, up to eighty percent, will um, sort of have their symptom involvement begin with um, the limbs. So they'll have you know the the lower limbs being affected, or they're starting to trip or stumble. Um, they might have this sort of awkwardness when running that wasn't there before. Um, foot drop, um, so patients may even report like a slapping gait. 
Uh, and then from an upper limb standpoint, uh, usually it's the reduced uh, finger dexterity, cramping stiffness, um, and then like wrist drop interfering with work performance. Uh, and then vulvar onset um, can start to happen. And uh, that's where you get like the slurred speech, the hoarseness, um, decreased speech volume, um, aspiration and choking in general become a real concern at this point. And then also some of the emotional and uh, other cognitive difficulties can start to arise the longer the patient has the disorder, um, where they, you know, obviously depression is something they're dealing with, uh, maladaptive social behavior, um, even like um, pseudobulbular affect, where it's like involuntary laughing or crying um, is another thing that uh, can, can occur over time. Who does uh, the um, commercial for the pseudobulbular affect, the, the, the new Dex or whatever? Danny Glover. Dana Glover. Yeah. 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 Because he would just laugh and then he'd start crying. Like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. He's like, I'm an actor. But some people can't do that. <laughs> right. That's like, it's a weird way that to commercial. Yeah, yeah. It's like a weird way to sell that. It was an interesting, yeah, a very interesting sell. Um, yeah. So that that's what people would see neurologically. Um, or symptom-wise. As, symptom-wise. As, um, as time goes on, uh, they're going to deteriorate. Um, features of more advanced disease would be muscle, muscle atrophy that becomes more apparent. Uh, spasticity that might compromise their ability to walk or their manual dexterity, um, a lot of muscle cramps, um, rarely painful joint contracture, contractures may result from immobility. Uh, and then there's also, so that's the motor, there's also progression of the bulbar disease. So voice changes, hypernasality, um, and development of a strained, strangled vocal quality, so their voice is going to sound a lot different, and eventually their speech um, will probably be lost uh, eventually. Swallowing difficulties, um, a lot of times they have to have a feeding tube or a peg tube, uh, usually starting with liquids, and then um, excessive drooling. So there's a number of things that um, that will happen over time. Um, do you want to talk about any of the diagnostics stuff? Yeah, I'm not too up on all the diagnostics, um, but it's what I will say is that a lot of the, especially early signs, can be kind of non-specific when it comes mm-hmm. to a neurologic standpoint. So it's not always diagnosed like your first visit, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be a number of things on the differential that are causing some of these non-specific um, ataxia-type symptoms and motor issues and even emotional issues. Um, so they kind of break it down based on um, symptoms and how sure they are that it is ALS. I won't get into all of it, but basically they assign them um, different stratifications like clinically definite, clinically probable, um, clinically probable, laboratory supported, clinically possible, and then clinically suspected. And that's just all related to their symptom types and where their symptoms are happening. Yeah. And um, they, I mean, to, to that, you know, same idea, you know, the patients oftentimes will be kind of uh, categorized as having like, um, probable ALS or possible ALS until they can get more information and the, the disease maybe progresses so that they have more data to work with before they can move to like definite ALS. Um, there's also some other like related forms of, of ALS. So things like progressive muscular atrophy, um, things like uh, progressive bulbar palsy, um, ALS plus syndrome. Um, there's a few others that all have like their specific, um, uh, you know, differential or criteria to meet in order to reach that diagnosis, but um, a very complex 
uh, situation. They'll they'll do electrodiagnostic studies and um, a lot of cases, electromyographies, um, nerve conduction studies, all kinds of stuff. So that's why the neurologists get paid the big bucks. Right. And as far as managing their condition, um, it's not just one doctor that they're going to have that's going to manage everything. They're going to see a number of specialties, um, speech therapy, dietitians, um, a number of things. Uh, so they're going to have a lot of appointments. Um, so with their management, there are ALS-specific medications that we can use, um, two previously and then one new one. Rylazole, branded as Rylutec, it comes as a tablet and a suspension. Um, and then Adavarone, uh, which is Radicava, uh, and then the new one, which is Relivrio. And so we'll get into those in a second. Uh, but along with offering the ALS-specific drugs, there's a number of other things. Uh, we mentioned parental nutrition if they need it non-invasive ventilation, and then eventually um, maybe invasive uh, ventilatory support requiring tracheostomy, um, depending on the case. Um, uh, apparently, people will try to use like creatine and stuff like that to help with the muscle wasting, but that's not recommended. Uh, but there's other things to treat the emotional symptoms like um, uh, benzos for anxiety, SSRIs for depression, NSAIDs and other pain medications for uh, various pain issues they may have. Um, anticholinergics and sympathomimetics for the um, excessive drooling, mucolytics for thickened secretion, muscle relaxants for spasticity. So a whole host of issues that are going to come as time goes on that we have supportive medications that can kind of, again, help with their quality of life. And when we talk about the, the Relivrio study, um, we'll talk about one of the, the main kind of quality of life questionnaire that they use to establish efficacy and we'll and you'll kind of see what they're looking at as far as um improved quality of life yeah quality and, of life and whether that's clinically relevant whether it's clinically relevant yeah that sort of thing um the other thing that just speaking of drooling since we're talking about other medications to be used um in uh 2009 the american academy of neurology um published this basically an evidence-based practice parameter update um and they were talking about using uh, botulism uh, toxin b uh it for used um or for, for the refractory uh, or treatment of refractory um, drooling after standard medication i'm assuming like atropine and things like that um and but uh they also said that low dose radiation therapy to the salivary glands can also be considered as well so it's um pretty intense and then um since we mentioned pseudobulbular affect uh with you know about 20 to 50 percent of patients will develop this uh, that have als and so that product that uh, we were talking about the drug um you know, commercial for is a combination of dextromethorphan and quinidine. Um, and I think that dextromethorphan, if I'm not mistaken, is used more so for like, it basically works as like almost like an inhibitor for the metabolism. Is that right? I don't know enough about it, but that sounds right. Okay. Cause I think there's another dextromethorphan based uh, psych med that just got approved too. So it's on my to-do list of things to look up, but kind of interesting. But that's definitely not uh, an active ingredient I would expect to see. No. <laughs> Getting new FDA approval. Isn't there some weird abuse that can happen with dextromethorphan? Yeah. They uh, that- they call it ro- robo-tripping and stuff like that. You basically just have to... They, it's a lot of times younger kids. That's why there's an age limit now. Like we have to... I think you have to be at least 16, maybe 18 um, to buy any sort of like dextromethorphan-containing product. Cause well, kids you do, were, don't you? Yeah. Because kids are drinking a bunch of it and then they're basically inducing like the delirium. Like the stuff? Yeah. They were like inducing delirium. What the world are people doing? I don't know. Jeez. I don't know. Making it all I harder. blame the school system. <laughs> <laughs> I blame public education. I blame public education. <laughs> oh, that's a joke. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, cool. So uh, I guess do you want to do a little bit of background on the other two drugs yeah. you mentioned? So we'll tell you about the other two drugs, then we'll kind of hit um, the new one. So rilazole is sort of the mainstay, kind of the original ALS drug. Um, like I said, it's branded as Rilatech and one other brand name for the suspension. Um, but it's generic now. For all patients living with ALS, um, it's generally recommended to treat with rilazole. Uh, there's three separate mechanisms thought to reduce the glutamate-induced um, excited toxicity by inhibiting glutamic acid release, non-competitive block of NDM, um, NMDA, NMDA, not NDMA, different. This is N-methyl-D-aspartate receptor-mediated responses, um, and direct action on voltage-dependent sodium channels, um, which is interesting because that's a similar mechanism to some like anti-epileptics and yeah. things. That is kind of weird. I guess because they're blocking glutamate. Yeah. Yes. So that makes sense. Though, as far as how it helps in with ALS patients, it's unclear because none of that is like directly related. Um, so they do recommend it. Um, most likely, patients are going to see some uh, functional improvement in their quality of life. Um, and then they may see some um, survival benefits. So in one Prospective double-blind study, about 155 patients' um, survival at 12 months was significantly higher for um, rilazole group, 100 milligrams a day, compared with controls. And that was 74 versus 58%. So basically, at 12 months during the study, 74 patients in the treatment group were alive, 58% in the um, control group were alive. Um, for the subset of patients with bulbar-onset ALS, an even greater advantage. So interestingly, they saw there was... A, almost a 20%. So for Bulbar uh, onset ALS, the Rilazole group, 73% survival at 12 months, control group, 35% survival. So I find that very interesting. Um, yeah, but generally what I, what I hear said is, is uh, a few months, a, a few months is kind of what you could expect from the survival benefit. And uh, the Adaravone is another product that is uh, basically suggested for all patients with ALS. Um, but it, uh, basically is a free radical scavenger. So it's thought to kind of reduce oxidative stress and, um, it, you know, that's oxidative stress has been thought to play a role in, in development or worsening of ALS. So, uh, make the mechanism, I guess, make sense. But, um, you know, the, the evidence is the highest, you know, or at least shows the highest benefit um, in patients with early ALS. Um, technically speaking, you can't, you know, you, there's no reason to not use it in other older or more um, further along patients or, or more progressive uh, disease, I should say. And so it's also uh, recommended to give um, this medication to all patients with ALS. Uh, it was approved originally as a uh, IV formulation in 2015. Um, and then in 2022, um, it was approved as a uh, oral formulation um, and specifically uh, in Japan and Korea and then the United States um, got FDA approval back in 2017 um, initially so it's been around for a little bit as well um, the uh, the studies that were um, done looking at this versus placebo um, again show kind of an overall benefit in you know um, function and whatnot but the a, a post hoc analysis showed a, a greater treatment effect in the subgroup of subjects with uh, basically def uh, definitive or at least probable ALS um, based on the uh, ALS FRS R score yes uh, so we can talk about that in a second if you want yep 
But uh, yeah, so those meds have been around for a while, and that's kind of the the mainstay. Do you do you see patients on the like one of these or both of these at the same yeah. time? It's is it usually both? Both, yeah. Though something I meant to mention with rilazole is um, there's still a fair amount of side effects, especially with rilazole, for instance. Um, none of them like huge. It's not like brain hemorrhaging, like with um, the drug I've already forgotten the name of for Alzheimer's. Um, that, that's how significant it is, is that I forget it after 10 minutes. Um, but there are a fair amount of side effects, nausea, dizziness, asthenia, hypertension, peripheral edema, um, various things that could be bothersome to patients. So the general sentiment is, well, you know, we just don't have much for ALS. So any benefit is good. So if we have any improvement of functional status or any, survival benefit, then that's a good thing. So like we would kind of discount those side effects. But I've heard the sentiment from at least three patients, and I haven't talked to that many, who I was counseling on a new start of one of these medications, um, basically saying they would say if they see, because they know, they've looked into it, they know like their prognosis and they know what benefit they may or may not get from these drugs. And so almost across the board, they say, um, if I have any side effects that are bothersome, I'm going to stop it. And it, so it's not uncommon for it to be stopped for seemingly not super significant side effects, but it's because, you know, morbidly, if you've only got a few years, you'd rather not, it not be spent with any sort of side effects that you can avoid, especially because they're going to have a whole host of issues. Though those are all older patients that I was talking to. I don't know. Maybe the sentiment will be different from a younger patient who was diagnosed because there are young people who are diagnosed. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it depends on one, like what the side effect is. And I think yeah. it depends on like the real life expectancy that is to be expected to be gained from being on the medication. That's what I think would do it for me. Right. But I'm also not in that situation. So I have no idea what I would do. Right. And it depends. I feel on, like I would take, take the meds if I could. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Um, yeah. I'd I'll hurt me to put myself in that position, yeah. but, um, so the new drug, I mentioned that the brand name was Relivrio, I think is how you pronounce it. The generic is sodium phenylbutyrate tar-ursodiol, or tur-ursodiol. Is that how you said it? Tor. Tor. tor like, like a four taurus. Yeah. Because it is spelled T-A-U-R. But then Cole says, what, taurus? I say taurus. So we don't know who's wrong. I had some, I grew up with somebody in high school who had a taurus. <laughs> and that's how she said it, and that's probably why. Well, That's maybe. probably why I thought so. I think she was saying it wrong. Well, she was from... Aiken. Actually, she was. So is she? The Valley is what we call it. Okay. But yes, basically Aiken. Okay, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, so, so she was pretty Southern. She couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so the tar-ursodiol, or whatever you pronounce it, is also called ursodoxicoltarine. I don't know. So how these work, ultimately what this drug does, it well, similar to rilazole, they're not entirely sure exactly how it's helping with ALS, but pharmacokinetically we can kind of talk about what it what it's doing in the body so ultimately it reduces neuronal cell death so i guess that makes sense that it might prevent progression um but these are two different drugs it's a combo drug uh, the one sodium phenylbutyrate is a histone deacetylase inhibitor that reduces an adaptive stress response in the endoplasmic reticulum tar ursodiol appears to increase the threshold of cellular apoptosis by maintaining mitochondrial integrity through reduced membrane permeability. So combining those leads to reduced neuronal cell death. So the authors of UpToDate suggest this um, uh, relivrio for all patients with ALS, similar to how they do with rilazole. Um, 
the study, like I said, it was a little bit controversial, and it's really only controversial because there wasn't survival benefit in that study, and mm-hmm. it was still FDA approved. But there was, but not at first. That's what's even weirder, right? So it's like I think one of the only, I'm sure it's happened before, but one of the only times where they've ever gotten like a second, like look at the at the application, I guess. And right. Then so it was it. denied, right? And then they approved it with, I guess, the promise of this other study you said it's phoenix phoenix yeah right um, that is hopefully better so let's talk about this one a little bit so um i believe this is the same one yes so there was a, a study with 137 patients um for als that's the regular study mm-hmm. size yeah um who were within 18 months of symptom onset more than 75 percent of patients were also taking rylazole or adabarone so they could be taking either i can't remember if you mentioned it but uh, adabarone was historically only iv Mm-hmm. Uh, but they recently approved a um, oral suspension. Suspension. Yeah, that's recent. Anyways, um, in the study, I'm pretty sure that originally... Um, you talking about the Centaur study at this point for the new drug? Yes. Okay. I think that's the one. I'm not big on names. Okay. I think that's the one you're talking Go ahead. I think that's the one, though. Okay. 137 patients. Make sure I'm... Yeah, yeah. This is yep, not, yep, yep, this is not Phoenix. This Centaur. Is not Phoenix. Yes. So Just making sure we're looking at the same trial. With the original inclusion criteria, they allowed patients to be on rilazole. Some were on rilazole, some weren't. And then they addended it to allow patients to also be on adabarone because from when the study started, adabarone was not around. And then during the course of the study, it was approved. So they did allow patients to be on adabarone. Um, 28% were taking both together of the 137. And the median revised ALS functional rating scale, so that's ALS FR score, was 36. The maximum score is 48. So I think this is a good time to kind of talk about what that is. Um, did you have anything pulled up on that? Um, yeah, the uh, the progression. This The ALS, F- S- ALS FRS FRSR. score. Yeah, I had something if you didn't. Um, uh, go ahead. I I have like a very long thing about it, so I'll see what you're saying. Okay, I'll well, add to it. basically, it's just a scoring scale of symptoms. And so um, the higher the score the better right and then Mm -hmm. the lower the score the worse and the reason being they look at a number of things speech salivation swallowing handwriting um uh, their gastrostomy status uh, depending on how they're taking their food intake uh, how they're cutting food and handling utensils dressing hygiene turning in bed handwriting handwriting walking climbing stairs a whole bunch of stuff Um, lung capacity questions it's a number of things. So it's basically respiratory, gross motor skills, vulvar, so like the speech and salivation, and then fine motor skills. Exactly. So those four. So you can get up to a max of 48 points, or the minimum score is obviously zero if you yes. can't do any of them. And so the to, to make that kind of make sense, so for speech, for instance, if your speech is normal, you get four points for that. If you have total loss of useful speech, you get zero points for that. So that's why higher score is better, lower score is worse. So what we're looking for in the studies is for the score to be maintained. So to see, because it's, and it might bounce up a little bit. That'd be great. Um, but it's progressive disease. So hopefully yeah. what we're looking for is for it not to progress further than placebo and for that to be statistically um, significant. And you have to take some of that with a grain of salt too, because these scoring systems are, even though it is generally related to quality of life and functional status, is almost like a composite endpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean... To me, being able to speak might be a little more important than just additional saliva, 
or right. something like that, like hyper salivation, but they, they get their, their, the scores are weighed the same. Well, also too, if like you, let's say you gain one point back in each category or whatever, you know, that may not be, that may be able to push you numerically to a, right. a, a better situation, but from a clinical standpoint, it's really not that much improvement. Right. Or it's at least relative yeah. to where, where we're, we're saying that this is clinically significant or we're saying that this is significant, but. Uh, it might be barely noticeable from a patient's quality of life standpoint. Anyways, that's just stuff to keep in mind. And part of the reason why they didn't feel like the results were super strong and part of the reason why it had trouble getting through was because they, long story short, they did see a reduction or an improvement in this score, in the study, um, but, not but not survival. Longevity. So I'll give you some more specifics. So by the 24-week follow-up, those treated with um, Relivrio showed a slower rate of decline in that score than those treated with placebo. So the difference was there was a 1.24 reduction in the Relivrio group and a 1.66 reduction in the placebo group. So like I said, the um, the median score was 36. And basically there was a 0.42 per month point difference between treatment and placebo. Yeah. Doesn't sound too fantastic, yeah, it does sure it? Sure doesn't. It's like, especially when you think about that being clinically relevant. Super slim, yeah, to me. Um, yet the updated authors say everybody should get this. I, I mean, I, I truly feel like it's one of those things. It's because we just don't have anything else, so it's like just try something, right? You know, I mean, and I, I get that. I, I don't know that it's it's going to be a cost effective plan, but I do get the sentiment behind it. I guess, right. Um, and yeah, and so that was a big issue with the, um, Aducanumab was the mm -hmm. cost thing, right? But then that one has such serious adverse effects. That's a bigger, huge adverse yeah. effects and a lot more people who would get it. So the big concern was, should this be a recommended thing so that Medicare has to cover it? Yeah, and it was like this whole big, like, uh, system-wide healthcare concern about the cost. ALS is a relatively small number of people. Mm -hmm. And so even though if this was recommended across the board, um, it's not it's not going to be a huge bur a financial burden on like the healthcare system or anything like that. Yeah, and yes, the adverse effects are are much less. So, um, well, you want to say some things? Well, I was just going to say that when it got um, they took the the data from that study from Centaur, and you know that's what they presented to the FDA. And like Cole said, uh, basically their decision had get gotten pushed back so they could get more information, um, and. Initially, there was a uh, two um, panelists that basically voted no. That after they saw the new information, um, they changed their their vote to yes. Um, whereas there were still some other patients or um, some other panelists rather. Um, so I'm reading a quote now. It says, "Unfortunately, I don't believe the new evidence we've reviewed, while promising, combined with that prior evidence, const um, constitutes substantial evidence of effectiveness." Um, was one of the uh, guys in the panel um and so it's one of those things that they still he still uh voted no and didn't change his mind so definitely kind of a subjective opinion which i guess is why they have the system as a voting thing like they do yeah um but uh basically the phoenix trial is ongoing now they're expecting it to finish between 2023 at the end of the 2023 and then the beginning of 2024 and um hopefully that will show um an increase in you know, lifespan. Yes. And if that does, then we'll probably be good to go. And the FDA will continue to uh, advocate for 
the drug, but and, and keep it approved. But if it doesn't, I think that's where they're gonna they expect it to be removed. Right, and so that's a forty-eight week um, long-term efficacy and safety trial. And the word on the street is it's trending towards positive. Yeah, but of course they're gonna say that until the data is done. So mentioned to see what it says but hopefully it's good just uh, positive vibes well speaking into existence. i mean it's such a sad disease uh, state no, you don't want to no, like you definitely you don't, don't want to wish you don't want to hope that it's not going to work no i right? definitely not 100 i hope it's the best drug ever yeah hope especially it's for like ALS. amazing um i'm just saying from their point of view right. yeah i get it right. they, they definitely don't want to uh yeah it's not looking real promising right the drug company doesn't want to stock that. plummets <laughs> right so the last thing i had was just a couple things on dosing and side effects um it's a powder that's actually reconstituted by the patient um, I think it's in six to eight ounces of water. It says to stir vigorously uh, before mm-hmm. administering. Can be given orally or by gastric tube once a day for three weeks, and then twice daily after that. Um, the side effects are relatively, you know, nonspecific: benign diarrhea, abdominal pain, nausea, upper respiratory tract infection. Uh, I think the diarrhea is in about twenty-five percent of patients. So, even though these aren't, it isn't brain hemorrhage. Um, still you know a significant amount of diarrhea or abdominal pain can be bothersome to a patient so it's still up to them whether they want to do it um but at least it's not going to be any big scary side effects that it can cause yeah yeah all right man what do you think anything else I think we did it. Did we make it? I think we made it. I think we did the bare minimum that we could. <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe someday we'll come back and do like a full ALS episode where we talk about all the supportive stuff or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. We'll 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 do more research before we jump on that episode. Yeah, <laughs> we'll plan better, a little more prep. Um, but uh, we appreciate it nonetheless, and I hope that was somewhat helpful. Um, also, make sure you guys check out our sponsor, uh, Pearls.com. Um, for those of you who uh, are watching the video version, go to Pearls.com/slash/CoreConsultRx. Uh, type that in the URL. You'll come up with this page. And um, you can sign up for a free account and get access to a lot of their content, a bunch of free charts that you can print off and save on your computer as PDF files. And if you like the app, obviously, you can uh, um, upgrade to the, the pro version and get all uh, the content unlocked, um, It's which is also a very affordable and, and, and good plan. So check that out. Um, the... Derek from Pearls has been fantastic as far as sponsoring us, and uh, was one of, uh, like I've said several times, one of our you know kind of first big sponsor that we had. So, um, big thanks to them, and uh, make sure you check them out. Um, but, you know, the app is growing every single uh, month and adding more content. So it's I think it's going to be a really cool feature here, especially as the you know the months go on. So um, maybe one day give LexiComp a run. <laughs> But um, thank you so much for Pearls. Make sure you check them out. If you want more uh, like lecture style pod or um, lecture style episodes where we're not just, you know, talking and giving our opinions on stuff, um, check out patreon.com slash core consult RX. Um, and now every, all the lectures are actually like put in the proper categories, you know, cardiology, neurology. So you don't have to just like scroll endlessly to find <laughs> lectures. I got a little more organized now. Um, a lot of new people have joined over the last month. So I really appreciate that. Um, that helps us to, you know, pay for equipment and all the cool stuff for or the podcast that, you know, at least makes us feel professional. But, um, yeah, thank you guys so much. I, uh, I hope you have a good rest of your week and just email us, text us, uh, DM us, whatever. If you have questions or comments, um, we'll do our best to get back to you. Y'all have a great night. See ya. <laughs>